0: if you would uh, turn in the scripture, please, to uh, 1 John in chapter 5. 1 John in chapter 5, please. I want to read verses 18 through 21. 1 John chapter 5, please. And even though we've just prayed, I want to pray again. I don't know about you, but when you pray in your devotional time, your time with the Lord each day, however you plan that out, I I pray in segments, so this doesn't bother me to pray a prayer and wait a minute and pray another one, because I pray a little bit, then I read a little bit, then I pray a little bit, then I read a little bit, and so uh, we've prayed, dedicated offering, and, um, and now we open the scripture, so it uh, compels me to pray again. So Father, be with us now as we come to your word, open it to us, give us eyes to see, minds to understand, hearts to believe. We depend upon you to give us understanding in our natural selves without the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, the things which you share with us uh, run counter to everything, our natural mind thinks. So, so we trust that you're transforming us by the renewing of our minds. So do that now. Enable us to hear and to believe and to live. I pray this in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. First John chapter 5, verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And then we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Um, Now, we've taken up 1 John for most Sundays since, I think, the first first of September, And um, uh, last week, we took up verse 18. I had anticipated getting more than that, but we took up verse 18. But these verses I mentioned, 18, 19, 20, and 21, I think at least, the way I would put them, are the linchpin for all that he said. He's been writing to us, John has, about assurance, knowing that we have eternal life, knowing that we really, truly belong to God, that we are his. He's been writing to us about assurance, and he's been looking at that, I would say in some sense from our perspective, that is, how do you know that you really do have eternal life? And he says, well, you know that because of what you believe. You believe that which is true about Jesus. You know that because you've seen the work of God in your life, not only to bring you to faith, but also in, in how you live, in your desire to please him, in your obedience, and, and also because you love each other. And all of that's great, but but as I mentioned last Sunday, as I read through First John, it always shakes me a bit because I wonder, do I really believe? <laughs> I wonder, um, am I really obedient as I ought to be? Do I really love as I should? And, 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 and I see it and I, I, I gain assurance. But then this, now these verses, he seems to move and, and take his perspective away from us and put it upon God. Because notice in verse 18, he talks about what we know what we know to be true. And not only what we know mentally in our minds, cognitively we may see, the facts of it, certainly know these things, but also we know them, we've come to know them because he's worked them in us. I mean, for instance, I know baseball. I know the facts of baseball. I understand it in my mind. But I also know it because I've played it. I know what it feels like. Pardon me while I just enjoy the moment. Uh, I know what it feels like. I know what a ball feels like. i go all week, in fact, just thinking about baseball. I had, a, I had a baseball on my desk. Every once in a while I just reach over and grab it and touch it and rub it. You know, uh, uh, I know what it feels like uh, to, to hit a ball and to miss it. Uh, all of that, to run. I, I know what it smells like. I've experienced it. And so when John says, we know, it doesn't just mean we can pass a multiple choice test on Jesus. He says, we know him. He's had dealings with us. We've had dealings with him. We know him. And so he's saying now, based upon what we know, we shall have assurance. In verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. We know that. We know the truth of it. We also know the experience of it because we know that we're much more sensitive to our sin now than than ever. Maybe at one point we weren't even knowledgeable understanding of our own sin, but, but Christ coming to us by his spirit enabled us to get it and understand our sin and know and so now we confess it when we sin, and we repent, and we ask God to help us because our, our real desire is to please him. But, but what really keeps us from keeping on in this sinful life? And he says it to us. We know that everyone who has been born of God doesn't keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, that Jesus keeps us, protects us. And the evil one can't touch us, can't get us once again in his grasp, can't take us once more under his rule and his dominion. Ah, yes, it's Jesus who keeps us. Phew. Then verse 19. We know that we're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. When I, when I think of the second part of that sentence, the whole world lies and the power of the evil one, it, it, makes me, it makes me shudder. And we know what he's talking about. He's talking about the evil one. He's talking about Satan. And we, we know some things about Satan. We know that he's created by God, was created by God. An angel fell. Don't know all the details about that. There's a couple of passages in the Old Testament that, that give us a sense, perhaps, of that. But it's, they're not really intended to do that, those passages. They're intended to talk about someone else. But we get it, we understand that he, he fell and he's the evil one, the evil one in this, in this world. We know him from Genesis 3, of course, as he comes and tempts Eve and ultimately Adam into sin and rebelling against God. And so we have that sense uh, about him. However, we mustn't ever think that he's equal with God because he's created. We must never think that there are two gods in the universe vying for power and authority. There aren't. There's one God and one God only, and Satan is not that god God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the only true and living God, sovereign over all. That is, even this one who is the evil one. This evil one cannot thwart the purposes of God. In fact, all of his efforts will ultimately be used by God to magnify and glorify and serve the purposes of God. Saw that didn't we really in the life of Job. God permitted, ordained that Job could, I'm sorry, that Satan could have some work in Job's life. But ultimately what happened? Job worshiped. And the evil one was thwarted. In the life of Jesus, the evil one was defeated. God was glorified. And that's true in our lives as well. But let's think about this evil one for a minute. It says the whole world lies in his, in his power. And as we've said before, when, when John speaks of the world, he's speaking of it in the sense of that world that is contrary to God, that world that's fallen, that world that's in sin, that world that rebels against, against God. In fact, when we studied 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, which says, do not love the world or the things in the world, We had a whole Sunday where we thought that through and looked up passages, and and here's what we concluded, if I might just summarize from that sermon, that this world is the the mindset, the understanding of life that's contrary to God. It's controlled, given by God. This power to Satan. It's informed by false prophets and false teachers and antichrist. It finds God's thoughts and ways foolish, hates those, who follow Christ desires to lure those away who follow Christ. And Christians are never to make friends with it. Because it's of the evil one. Hey, we learn in verse 18 that Jesus keeps us from the evil one so that he can't touch us or hold us in his grasp. So the world is in the grasp of the evil one. Jesus referred to him as the ruler of this world. The apostle Paul referred to him as the God of this age, or the prince of the power of the air, who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. John the apostle in the Revelation, last book in the New Testament, refers to this evil one as the great dragon. He wants to portray him as this terrifying beast. And we learn what he does by his, by his name. The name Satan means the adversary, the one who opposes. And so he comes against us. You know how Peter puts it in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, resist him. This evil one, because he's your adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone uh, to devour. In, in Revelation in chapter 12, again, as John gives us the picture of what's happening in the world, he speaks of this evil one who has this dragon. And in verse 17 of chapter 12, says, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war and the rest of her offspring and those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And so he's giving us this picture of, of Satan who's been thrown down to the earth and he, he hates the church and he's coming after us, those who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So that's the image of Satan that we're giving as this adversary the word devil means slanderer or liar, uh, destroyer. And we, we see that he has a scheme to destroy us. Various places in the New Testament, we, we read of this, particularly in, in most, um, uh, probably the, the passage we're most familiar with is in Ephesians in chapter six. Paul says, for we do not wrestle. Well, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so you get the sense that he has a plan and a plot, and he's trying to, to, to come against us in a way that will cause us to turn against God and to keep those who are against God already in that place. It says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against God's cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places, that's this description, this adversary, this devil who's come after us. He's the power to blind the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, that is, those who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He, this evil one, promotes false doctrine. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, times in which Timothy lived and the times in which we live, latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, and teaching of demons through the insecurity of insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And so we see that even, even in the church, he's the tempter who tempts us against God. His work is summarized by the reformer Martin Luther in that great hymn, the "Mighty Fortress," in his first verse. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, his craft and power great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. So when we read that expression, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, that's what Luther is talking about. And when we read that, it should make us shudder but not be afraid. Why? Because we're from God. Another translation, we're of God. That is, that he's made us his. And when I, when I read that, I go, whew, that's really good. Because when I think of the evil one and I read those passages, I think I'm doomed. But no, 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 no. We're not doomed. Why? Because of Christ. Because we're from God, not God from the world, not of the world. As Jesus says, you're no longer of the world. You're in it, but you're no longer of it. In the same way, Jesus said, in that I'm, meaning Jesus, is not of it. Why? Because Jesus was of God and we're of God. We're from God as well. He has made us his own. As the apostle says, he's bought us with the price, the price of his, of his own son, He's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son in which there is redemption and the forgiveness of sins, Colossians chapter 1. And we know about this. He tells us that we are from him. He's the one who has saved us. Ephesians chapter 1, glorious passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Why am I safe? Why will I persevere? Why am I secure? Why do I know that I have eternal life? Because I'm from God. He's the one who's come for me. He's the one who's chosen me. He's the one who's made me his own. He's the one who bought me with a price. I'm not depending upon me. I'm from him. He's the one who transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Ephesians 2, you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of, of mankind. But God, I'm from him, you see. But God, I'm from him. But God, who is rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before us. Before, uh, beforehand that we should walk in them. We're from him. We're from him. Thus, we're secure in him. We're secure in him. So Luther goes on in his third verse. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth, to triumph through us, the Prince of Darkness grim. Everybody should shudder. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little world word shall fell him. And what's that word? <laughs> Jesus. We're in him. We're out of him born of God. Then verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. Even our understanding comes from him. You see, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So how is it that we've been able to see him? Well, notice how that passage goes on. Verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When you when you hear the expression that God said, let light shine, what do you think of? You think of creation. You think of Genesis 1. Let there be light. Would you know that if you're a believer in Jesus, that God has looked at you and said, let there be light. Where there wasn't light, there's light. Where You couldn't see, you now see. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Tell me about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, you can't see it unless you've been born again. How do we see it? We've been born again. Were we born again after we saw it or before we saw it? Before, logically, maybe right at the same time. But logically, our eyes need to be opened first because they're blinded. We can't see it unless we've been born again. This new birth enables us, you see, by the work of God and the mystery of his grace. So we can't boast in our own understanding. We can't boast in our own wisdom. It came from him, you see. He opened our eyes that we might see it. In 1 Corinthians, as Paul comes to the church in Corinth and and, and, and preaches to them. How does how does he put it in First Corinthians chapter two verse one? And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Not only as Paul preached it powerfully, but as it powerfully hit them and gave them light, brought them to life so they could see it and believe it. Later in that chapter, he says, it's written, verse verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor heard, nor the heart heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Verse 14, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person, that is the person upon whom the Holy Spirit has come, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, we have the mind of Christ given it to us, that we may understand. That helps me. (laughs) Because I know that my understanding comes from God. It isn't my own. It isn't my own wisdom. I didn't arrive at this by my my own thoughts. He led me through it and to it. He enabled me to see it. I can be secure because it's not of me, but of him I'm from him. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Now, this little word for true could also be translated as authentic, could also be translated as real. This is real. This corresponds with reality, not a a false understanding of what is, but a true one, what is really true, what is real. First, Jesus is real. John speaks of that in 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, touched with our hands concerning the word of life. It's real. I've been there. I've, I've, I've touched him. I've heard him. I've seen him. I've beheld his glory. I know he's real. And he corresponds with everything that's real. He corresponds with the reality of the holiness of God that's real. Whatever you see, what's really real is that God is holy. Whatever you see, what's really real is my sin. Whatever you see, whatever you hear, whatever you touch, what's really real is that we're hopeless and helpless because of our sin and live. Righteous in the righteous condemnation of God. What's really real is the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. What's really real is that Christ has come and he's taken the sin, the guilt of sinners upon himself. You see, that's real. He says, We know this one who is true, who's real, and who corresponds with everything that's real and nothing that is false. And so Christ has really come, and this death of his is real, and he atoned for our sins, made propitiation for our sins. The salvation is real. We know that it's real, he says, so that we know that we have eternal life, because eternal life is knowing him and being known by him, being from him and of him. That's really true. We are of him, this very one who is real. And what is real is that now, you see, I realize that I'm made in the image of God. And I'm to glorify him. And to honor him as God, I'm to give him thanks with my life and my lips. And I've been made the reality of life is said, I'm to live in such a way as to obey him, to follow him, and to love as he's loved. That's real, he says. And John says, we know this. He's given us this understanding. This is real. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know him who is true, and we're in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He time. The Lord, he could refer to God, Father, or Jesus. If it's Jesus, this is a bold statement of the deity of Christ. That is what I would hold. He is the true God and eternal life. He's Then this fascinating final verse, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, it almost seems like a non sequitur. It's like, wait a minute, you've been talking about God and, and, and the linchpin here to, to keep us and to give us understanding that we may really know what's real. And now you, you, you focus attention in this command to keep us from idols. But we realize... That's precisely what should come next. We know that, A, because it did. And this is the inspired word of God. But we get the logic of it. We we actually see it. We see it because what John is saying, don't accept any substitutes. You already have what's real in Jesus. Don't allow anyone, anything to come in place of him. We, We don't have time now. We'll do this later. To uh, flesh out all that's true about uh, idols and idolatry and all of that, but but we understand idolatry. We understand that it's putting anything in the place that is to be occupied by God to 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 attract our and uh, and 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 receive our utter and complete devotion to define us to tell us who we are. We, we look to God. Who am I? To direct us, we we look to God to say, "How should I live?" Uh, we, we look to God. And, and say, I delight in you, you see. I worship you. And anything that takes that place, anything that defines us, whether it's our sexual passions, our desire for security, our desire for wealth, uh, or what, whatever takes that place is God in our lives. And so when God introduces himself to his people, he says, don't have any other gods before me exactly what John is saying. God is saying, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? I have no other gods before me. I'm real. I'm reality. All that is of me is true. Everything else is false that you would hope in or put your sights upon to be devoted to. And John's saying exactly the same thing. Keep yourselves from He is the one who is true. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. The same way he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this In remembrance of me, the apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? We're declaring that he is true. We're declaring that everything about him corresponds with reality, with what is real. And we should never accept any substitute. We shouldn't accept the substitute of our own righteousness. That can't save us. We shouldn't substitute our own wisdom. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our redemption. We should substitute nothing. But we should receive, take, He is eternal life. There is no life anywhere else. Everything else is false. Everything else is death. He and he alone is eternal life. Let's pray, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you for sending your son to live in spiritual blindness. It's death. But, but 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 in him you open eyes. You enable us to see. To see what is real, to see your holiness, to see our sin, to to see your love through the redemption, the giving of your son to redeem us, to buy us, to pay the ransom price, to free us, to be our propitiation. That we may have life, that we may live real, authentic, made in the image of God, Made to reflect God in obedience and love, to live real life. Oh, please. I pray that none of us would accept anything else, except except any other substitute. Holy Spirit, work that in us, reveal to us our idols. Enable us to confess them and to turn from them. To wholly belong to Christ by faith. Please, I, I pray, even now, take this bread and this juice and set it apart in some way. In this way that you can only set it apart to enable us to to know the reality of Christ. Please use all of this even now to enable us to know that we're in His presence and, and that He blesses, strengthen our faith, convince us anew and afresh of all that's true in Him and because of Him, all that's real. And this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.